All right. So this is a, a, a bit of an old story, but it's kind of rattling around in my head again as Facebook and Twitter and the lawyers of, of these organizations go up in front of Congress this week, um, which is Pizzagate, uh, which is un unfortunately not a hilarious Richard Nixon parody Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles episode. <laughs> um, the delivery on that one took a second, but was, was actually uh, this guy, Edgar Madison, is a 28-year-old uh, from Salisbury, North Carolina, apparently, who believed that Hillary Clinton was running a child sex trafficking ring in a pizza parlor and uh, went to do his own investigation with a gun. Um, you know, with not not hilarious consequences. So this is a long wind up to, to my basic question, which is one that I think is, is getting a lot of airtime right now, which is, uh, should social media be held to a standard of being a social good? Uh, and what's the risk of not regulating them? Hmm. This is Darian Bates. This is Toby Wilson Bates. And this is The Stories We Tell Our Robots the podcast where we talk about how we make our technology and how our technology makes us. All right, so Pizzagate. Um, first of all, hello, Tobias Bates for our yeah. uh, Tobias, Tobias Wilson Bates. I was about to say, yeah, come on, man. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to steal your hyphen. <laughs> it's the thing. It's, it's so interesting. Hyphens they don't they don't fit cleanly into like uh, all kinds of systems. Uh, just the other day, I went to vote, and this is actually this is a relevant story. I'm going to bring this up. I want to I want to lead right. with it. All right, give me lead with your hyphen. Yeah, <laughs> well, the hyphen wasn't super important. It just made the woman who was uh, trying to find my my. I, identification in the voting rolls have a bit of trouble because she was looking for Bates and then right. she realized I, I belonged in the W line instead of the B line. Um, <laughs> the, group, the, the group W bench? Sorry, that yeah. was Arlo Guthrie reference. I, I missed that one. That's brilliant. We'll, we'll cite it later. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I went to vote because Facebook uh, the other day said, hey, are you voting tomorrow? Right. And I was like, oh man, I'm, I've been really into this idea of becoming active and an active, not necessarily participant. That, that implies that I like run for city council, which I'm not, but an active <laughs> a, mini a minimally active participant a minimally in our democracy. Active, a, a democratic <laughs> actor <laughs> in uh, local elections. And real, I, some, I some, some real strong don't tread on me language right there. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't have been had Facebook not the day before said, hey, are you voting tomorrow? Um, I then went and did my own research on all the candidates and came up with rationale for all my votes and this kind of stuff and, and did what I wanted to do. But I wouldn't have done that if Facebook hadn't prompted me. And that seems like a social good. Right. And and meanwhile, the question that you bring up at the beginning is, it is, it is likely that this um, this Mr. Madison would also likely not have a shot up a pizza parlor in the D.C. area if Facebook had not um, surfaced. And, and actually, to be fair to Facebook, it actually wasn't only Facebook. 
it was actually social media. Um, I think actually Reddit was was a strong part of that, but but Facebook wasn't part of that as well. But he probably would not have shot up a pizza parlor had not had he also not been exposed to this information on social media, right? Right. That, so, um, well, let me let me start off with um, providing some context, which I I try to do in these situations, and I think there's there's three things I want to bring up that I think are relevant to the discussion before we go into kind of your larger question. Uh, one of which is this this concept of an algorithm, right? Like I, the algorithm. Actually, I, I was looking at the uh, you know the you know how they they have that chart that shows the change in word usage over time, and algorithm is one of those terms that exploded in like nineteen starting in nineteen sixty and really nineteen ninety and and beyond. Um, it, it actually charts the progress of computers, and that's not surprising because an algorithm is essentially a a set of rules that you write that need to be followed. Um, using calculations or other kind of problem-solving uh, operations often involves logic or, or comparative um, functions, and they're followed by a computer. And it's essentially the way that we tell stories. They I mean, we tell computers stories. We say and it's interesting too because I, I feel like there's a kind of a social bait and switch as well, where if you want to make it sound like you're doing something impressively technological. You're like artificial intelligence, but if you want to make it sound like you're doing something harmlessly mathematic, you're like just uh, these algorithms. They're just running algorithms. Perhaps, although I will say that many many people are are find the term algorithm to be sort of um, it's it's reached a level of kind of I don't know how to describe. It. I guess it's algorithms. I think can be fearsome in their own right. <laughs> I think, I think, no, I think people find it them, them, the, the the term to be murky, and in many ways, it's at the it's at the heart of how Google serves up information to you. It's how Facebook's news feed serves up information to you, and so, um, and so there, it's not entirely no one's entirely clear, or many people are not entirely clear what an algorithm is, but they do know that somehow that thing is defining what they see. Um, but essentially, it's if you think about it as as really a story, and we have a starting point. We have a place where it's trying to go. In the case of Facebook's um, news algorithm, it's trying to deliver you what it thinks is going to be the most relevant content to you, right? That's its objective point, relevance. And then it has a set of um, conditional statements: if this, then this; if this, then this, right? And it and it progresses all these different things as it encounters variables and changes things, and eventually to the intended outcome of serving up this this information that it is it calculates is relevant to you right so then let's start with that 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 concept of an algorithm and um you could go to somebody's profile and look at it and comment on it and and you know stalk them or whatever um, yeah everyone had like a little billboard and they kind yeah. of curated it and then you just went around visiting these little billboards exactly and then the newsfeed launched and at first, actually, some people were a little bit taken aback by the newsfeed because the thing that was previously a fairly private thing where you'd go comment on somebody's billboard, uh, somebody's, you know, profile, um, suddenly, suddenly was being was being broadcast out that you just said this on somebody's profile. Um, and I think people eventually adjusted and figured out kind of what they were going to now do in this world where comments that they made to other people were going to become more public. And then eventually people realized that that was the point of Facebook, which is all their comments the point was to make it public and then, you know, give rise to the millennial. Um, <laughs> but um, the big thing that happened in the newsfeed was actually the Facebook like button. Um, up until the Facebook like, but like button, um, if you remember, I just described the algorithm as trying to optimize 
to relevance, right? It's really what the algorithm is trying to do is to show relevance. But how do you show, how do you even figure out, how does an algorithm figure out what is relevant to you or me if it doesn't have any kind of real concrete engagement point to start calculating it? And then so the Facebook like button was launched and suddenly this became like a way for Facebook to say, ah, they like this, they like this, they didn't like this, so we should serve them more of this. It's um, like a, it's like a heuristic because suddenly there was a reward structure for guiding it, the algorithm. Exactly, but then there was also a thing that could be manipulated and hacked, and suddenly the Facebook newsfeed could was suddenly getting filled with all these. Your feed suddenly started filling up with all these things that were getting liked because people were producing content that was more likely to get liked, right, um, like baby pictures and cats, right? Well, even beyond baby pictures and cats, there'd be articles that would be like. You know, like this, you know, they, I mean, they would be explicitly saying that they would, um, in the world of internet marketing, um, we, we, people in internet marketing, myself included, um, spend a lot of time trying to figure out what is this formulation of content, graphics, and essentially call to action um, requests, like this thing, do that kind of thing, that will get people to, to take an action that was most likely to lead to the optimal outcome. And in many cases, you would have content that was optimized to liking. But it was a little bit like, you know, a very Pavlovian in that, like, the content that was most likely to get people to push a button was rising to the top, but it wasn't necessarily the content that people really wanted to see. It was just content that was optimized for sort of push button liking. Um, and so then Facebook, then saw that saw what was happening and said, wow, there's a lot of this really kind of buzzy content is rising to the surface, but it doesn't look like it's actually making people happier with the content that they're getting. And so then they started a a um, focus group where they would actually pay people and actually start off in Knoxville, Tennessee, um, and would actually pay people to sit down and write little, essentially write little paragraphs, write little stories about what they're getting in their newsfeed and, and basically saying, this is how this makes me feel. Like this is, I like this, I don't like this. And then those people would start becoming, eventually the program would nationalize and um, eventually it got to the point where, where they were using these kind of focus groups as a way to calibrate, kind of calibrate against just this kind of liking being the biggest driver of, of what's showing up in your feed that they would also try to say, well, people are writing that even though they're not liking this, they are liking this in terms of pushing a button. This appeals to people of these types of demographics, these types of demographics. So they're trying to then calibrate even further by by getting outside of the out of the kind of machine bias. I, machine bias is the wrong term. Kind of the 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 bias that would be built into just the basic functionality of the tool itself. Um, so that's how the news feed has sort of evolved, and it's gotten to the point now where they they start they you start having the ability to kind of affect your own feed a little bit by you can kind of say, I want to see this first, I hide this, and you start, and they're starting to even throw out surveys and say, do you like this or this, trying to get more direct engagement back from people about what they like. But ultimately, it's all trying to affect what's in this newsfeed. And the newsfeed is something, I think um, Google launched a newsfeed the other day um, to try to kind of complement its search engine. Um, so to, uh, you know, obviously Twitter has, has you know, what shows up in your newsfeed. It's a, the feed is now the way, that is the way that we are encountering this content. Um, that's that these allegedly these, you know, quote, bubbles that are being created are happening because of these feeds. Uh, and the final thing, and I'll try to sum this up very quickly, um, 
um, Facebook ad targeting. So that's the third thing. And I think people often mistake news feeds with ad targeting. And I've heard a lot of that get conflated during this conversation. And ad targeting and news feeds, they can be synchronous, but they are not necessarily, um, but they, they each function differently. Like you can, you can, when you advertise, you can advertise in such a way that it shows up in people's news feeds as a sponsored post. Um, but what shows up in your news feed that is organic, something that shows up there because the system says you would like this versus what somebody is targeting to you is very different. So Although if it's I'm also worth mentioning the levels of kind of inception in this, that there may well be ads on the screen you're looking at that are not in your Facebook feed. And even if you do, like the New York Times runs sponsored content now. Right. So even the thing in your feed that is from a news source may be a sponsored ad content from that source. Exactly. Right? So yeah. You may be looking at an ad. That's right. That's right. And so and and you know they all try to kind of keep this kind of church and state divide where the ads kind of are often in a gray box or separated in some way or said sponsored posts or something like that. But but they don't want to be too overt about it because otherwise, if it just said this is an ad, don't read it. Obviously, they're 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 hurting their own revenue stream. So the um, the the sponsored posts or this ad targeting, um, the way that functions is I can go into Facebook and when it's, what I love what I think is very interesting is the way that you know they'll say like tools that advertisers use on Facebook. But Facebook has such, it's like you can go in right now and create an ad in Facebook. Like anybody can create an ad in Facebook. The idea that suddenly you become an advertiser the minute you start creating an ad, kind of this delineation between what an advertiser is, is I think broken down a little bit, but that's uh, that's kind of a little bit tangential, but I think it's very interesting um, that I ultimately can go in and create an ad that says I want to target um, and the targeting is 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 potentially even you know sort of disturbing in what you and how finely you can slice both demographics and interest yeah. areas and things like I that. I heard a piece of this the other day. I think it was on the Blabbermouth podcast where they were talking about uh, there's something like they index people in something like 57,000 different categories, mm -hmm. for, right? And then they you, you can like sell to this group, this group that yep. there's this common category. And one of them was like people who hate Jews. That was right. like a modified category. <laughs> and, uh, they, they got rid of that one, but the, you know, it, it took somebody getting upset at them and finding right. out about that. So that's that's troubling. And and this maybe is a way to loop from your your robust context back towards this first statement that I this question that I made about uh, is this should this be a social good and should it be regulated? like something like water or sanitation that are, are or transportation that are, are social, that we think of as, as possibly social goods or certainly things that we invest in as a society. And I, and I just want to make it clear that I, this, this doesn't strike me as an unreasonable bar in part because I think this is a bar that a lot of these social media companies have set for themselves. Mm. You know, the Google's, famous slogan, don't be evil, or Amazon slogan, we're obsessed with our customers, or Facebook, bringing the world together, right? Like these are, these are manifestos, you know, uh, you know, screeds of declaring yourself as a social good. 
Right. Um, well, and, I, and let me just throw in there something else that is, is regulated as if it is a social good, which is the media. Generally speaking, you know, the media also falls under, there's the FCC, the Federal Communications Commission, which is directly overseeing the media, has, has very explicit limits on all sorts of things that the media can and can't do. So when you talk about should it be regulated as a public good, it's the, 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 television, the, the, the television industry was started as essentially a public resource. Right. And it was it was given out to private companies, the bandwidth. And at the time we were talking about literally bandwidth, you know, the broadcast bandwidth. That was, you know, it's a physical space in the bandwidth. Um, those were being given out to private companies. And but they had to in turn, they had obligations to be they were they had to behave a certain way. They couldn't do certain things. They had to do other things. Um, the, the even that the fact that C-SPAN exists is a is a um you know an obligation that the the cable networks took on when cable was launched to create this public access you know thing where that you know you have like 700 people obsessed people across the country watching congress place votes and nobody else watches it but it has to exist because um it's a part of this deal we get our private bandwidth we get our private use of the bandwidth in turn in turn, we we have to do public good, right? So I, I just wanted to throw that in there because it is actually it's very relevant, I think, to the Congress to what Congress is starting to ask of these social media networks as they pull them up before Congress. And the the implication is, hey, you you have to do something. You have to like regulate this. Thing. You have to like we have to we, TV stations tell us who buys their media. We need to know you didn't have to tell us that. There's a new scrutiny. And it's all because you are now a public utility, or they're trying to push in that direction. Well, it's interesting. It strikes me that uh, part of why this this media parallel seems kind of confounded is that the difference between sort of top-down or bottom-up content production seems wildly different to me. Like in terms of how you could even imagine regulating such a thing, mm -hmm. since right, if, if Fox does something really bad like, i don't know fox has on a, a guest who turns out to be like some kind of russian propaganda agent you're like hey you didn't vet this guest you said x y and z thing to them you know wrist slap to rupert murdoch right, that, that's, right. or it, it, just to be clear same thing could be done to cnn same thing could be done to msnbc just want to say exactly. fox is not the only people but you're right but there actually is a wrist slap where there's actually even more serious consequences and that's when the FCC levies fines, right? They actually are empowered to 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 punish media organizations for um overstepping or for making for making um what it deems as as profane or or improper decisions. Right. And meanwhile though, social media, the great strength of social media, which seems to be why it's you know winning the the kind of revenue stream fight with older forms of media is that they, for the most part, at least when I'm on social media, most of the people who are proctoring and producing content are just private individuals who are doing it for free. That, uh, you know, like maybe you're posting a, a link from somewhere else, but, you know, it, you're just amplifying information or producing information. And Facebook doesn't have to pay you to do that. And in fact, they monetize you <laughs> to do that for them. But then that seems like it would be really hard to regulate from the bottom, right? Like all you can do is remove several thousand accounts a day, which they do. Um, 
but that that hardly seems effective given the the current kind of uh, political scandal and this kind of thing. Right. Well, I think it's. I mean, I th- there's a couple directions that I want to go with this, and I'm just I'm just trying to hew to. I think one of your questions is is does it have a public obligation? And then the second question is, is like how like is there something bad that can happen if it if it doesn't get regulated, or like what what are the consequences of not regulating? Facebook yeah, and I'd like to I'd like to pitch a couple stories at you since that's a thing that we do. Let's do it. So the, tell, me, the first, tell me how tell me how John Dunn knew everything about Facebook. Years. Yeah, well, he would never he wouldn't be on Facebook. He'd he'd just be stuck in all the porn. That's <laughs> Is that where Dunn would be? <laughs> yeah, well, he he would always make these jokes. Like he married his his wife, uh, who is a, a brief but passionate marriage. She died uh, after a brief marriage. Unfortunately, he was really broken up about that. But her last name was Moore. His last name was Dunn. He used to make like to make poetic jokes about Dunn Moore because <laughs> anyway, I, yeah, all, all the old poets are perverts. <laughs> the lesson for, for, for Tobias Wilson Bates's, uh yeah, that's yeah, English be one hundred and one. All the old poets are perverts. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the the author I was thinking of, who often is cited, um, in fact, is cited by is cited by Ted Kennedy repeatedly, um, is uh, George Orwell. Mm-hmm. Um, Nineteen eighty four is the sort of paradigmatic version of this. There's there's a massive top-down organizational structure that is watching you. Uh, I recently read about Facebook Pixel, which is a, a technology where they kind of put a little stamp on all these different popular sites, something like the New York Times that a lot of people visit. And then this thing watches you. It like watches you watch the screen and then, you know, aggregates all this data about you. And then they use that for, you know, sort of like data mining purposes, so far as I can tell. And just freaks people out. I mean, my screen is watching me. Like there are right. in 1984, Orwell literally has screens watching you, you know, sort of in every in every part of your life. Um, this doesn't seem like the best parallel to me uh, for, for a number of reasons. Facebook doesn't seem like a violently oppressive government. This, this doesn't seem to be speaking to in in a particularly nuanced way, the way Big Brother forces ideological homogene- homogeneity and control. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to say no on Big Brother. Okay, so so if if this is not Big Brother, then if if the yeah. story that that you bring to mind is not Big Brother, what what story is it? Well, I'd I'd like to stick with Orwell because if you want to look at you know sort of paranoid fantasies, he's the guy. <laughs> um, well, I actually think maybe. Yeah, <laughs> this is yeah. I'm I am really selling people on all <laughs> Dorwell tonight. Uh, I'd say maybe Animal Farm would be the more interesting story here. Uh, in thinking about, uh, if you don't know the plot of Animal Farm, the animals decide to rise up, led by the pigs, a particular pig named Napoleon, uh, to throw out the farmers. The animals throw out the farmers, and then the pigs become a, an even worse version of the farmers that have been thrown out. Uh, the progression of the slogan, you know, uh, two legs bad, four legs good, um, eventually becomes, you know, kind of four legs good, two legs acceptable, and then four legs 
good, two legs better, right? Like I said, when the pigs are all walking on their hind legs and they've taken over the farmhouse and they've trained dogs to control people and they sell the horse to the glue factory, which is all to say, social media seemed to promise social good with mm-hmm. Zuckerberg, something like Zuckerberg's line, bringing the world together. And Zuckerberg has any number of instances where he's talked about in these glowing terms, the great good he sees Facebook performing. Um, and so far as I can tell, when it first entered the, the sort of social media world and became part of people's daily life, Facebook did, did not make some of the same bargains that traditional media had made in terms of advertising, in terms of manipulation, it just it seemed like uh, something generally meant for you to be able to express yourself and connect with people. At this point, as a, a company that that makes a lot of its money basically off of selling and packaging your you, mm-hmm. is this is Facebook and you know, by proxy, the larger social media landscape, now even less of a social good than old-timey media used to be? Like, is it, is it now worse? Are we in a worse position now than we were before we accepted accept this sort of deal with a question mark devil? That's a really interesting point. And let me, let me, let me actually raise what I think is a really interesting corollary that I'm seeing right now in um, in old media, um, which is, I don't know if you've heard about the uh, Sinclair Broadcasting. They're actually a... Um, oh, is that the, the conservative group that's kind of buying up all this local media? Right. They're, they're, a, they're actually, a, they're based outside Baltimore. And they are a, um, yeah, they're, they're kind of explicitly conservative in their views. And right now they currently own or control about 170 or so, a little bit more than 170 stations. Um, and they're in the process of trying to acquire Tribune Media. Um, and if they acquire Tribune Media, they would actually be then in control of over 200 stations, which would, um, from a penetration standpoint, would mean that they would be reaching about 72% of the country, like a single entity, a single ownership group would be reaching wow. 72% of the country. And I think people are particularly uncomfortable because they have such a um, kind of explicit political viewpoint um, and have been and have been kind of inserting that into their, their work. Although um, I think the caveat, in fact, I, I base a lot of this upon some kind of reporting from David Folkenflik who did this, who talked about this on um, NPR uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, he made the point that there are still journalists doing good work there. It's, it's he's not, you know, he's, I think he was he was doing his job to say it. Um, but I think that you know the 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 issue that is raised is that in doing this, they would actually be breaking FCC rules, and that the FCC has in turn, leading up to this, sort of been been updating its rules. seemingly suspiciously to allow for exactly this. So the FCC has sort of been, starting in May, the FCC started rolling back some things. Um, And the major rules that it rolled back uh, are these four rules. Uh, A lift in how ownership uh, is calculated such that you can now only half your audience needs to be counted against the national ownership cap. So there's a cap that you cannot reach more than 39% of the nation's television households. A single a single ownership 
group can't do that. Um, and S Sinclair has said that without selling off some stations, after the merger, it would have basically a 45.5% audience reach, which would be overstepping, even in the new way that it's calculated, it would be overstepping what the SEC normally allows. Um, second is you know, you, a, a single group can't open more than one station in the same town. The third is that um, the same company cannot open a new, have a newspaper and a television station in the same town. Um, and then there's uh, a list, then uh, news production has to happen locally. So you can't produce news nationally and kick it over to your local station. That local news has to be produced locally. Um, and so those are, and, and all of those things are starting to be changed. And what's interesting to me about that is, okay, so there's a, there's a, there's a, a station that is looking to take over, that is a group that is looking to become a significantly larger player in kind of this, this, this old media landscape. But it's, I, I looked at those rules and I just couldn't help thinking, but, but so many of those rules don't apply to social media, right? And I think one of the, one of the things that I saw you, you know, I think you might've mentioned previously is that I think the number of people that voted, you know, they're all like, I think 150 million people were exposed to these Russian ads or whatever. And 135 or something actually ended up voting. So, so it actually reached more people. These ads reached more people than actually ended up um, going to the polls, which it's kind of, it doesn't clear. It's not, that's not saying that of the people who went to the pools, all of them saw those. It's obviously there's a Venn diagram to work around there, but nonetheless, that's a, that's kind of an interesting comparison when you're on the one hand, you're really getting up and people are getting up in arms about this idea of, media consolidation, even as this other form of media is largely unregulated. Yeah, that is interesting. That is interesting. And I mean, it's, but it's also interesting, you know, thinking about what even what what even the form of regulation would be. Right. That, and, and this gets to another point that I was saying that, like, Facebook has, I, I think my, my last time, somewhere in the ballpark of two billion users. Mm hmm. Um, obviously anybody who can do any level, not any level of math, relatively simple math, be aware that the vast majority of Facebook users then are not American. Right. Um, and so it, it suddenly becomes something like regulating FIFA. Right. Which is, how do you get to regulate speech? Because a lot of this is user generated speech or, you know, content from all these different countries. If you are now dealing with this kind of multinational entity as opposed to a uh, discrete, discreetly American, like it, it strikes me that you would necessarily run into all of these paradoxes that that happen in, in those sort of larger scale communities. Things like uh, do equality and liberty actually work as as concepts that can both be regulated for in a multinational space. Right. I mean, I think that's yeah. it's, the crime in one context is not in another. Right. I mean, I think that's that's a, a kind of a fascinating question, um, but that largely, I think, skirts this question, kind of this other question. I mean, wh whether it's feasible to regulate it or not, I think the question of whether it's whether this is making the world better or worse. Is it a public is it a public good or is it a is it a you know, on the one hand, you have Tahrir Square, right? You have the the kind of the the. Not that Egypt, not that the Egyptian uh, um, protests have turned out particularly well for Egypt 
um, and for the people who were protesting. But nonetheless, you had this kind of claim that Twitter really helped spark kind of a, a wave of freedom, however transient, in uh, in Egypt. Um, and this idea that there's kind of like that more people have access to the to the production, right? More people have access to like I, I could go write a story tomorrow, put it on Facebook, promote it, and like and I have access to the to the levers, right? Which which I mean, how how can that be bad? I mean, how can that be? It's it's ultimately it's the discomfort and people who are claiming that it's it's hard not to start making a case against Facebook and not to start sounding a little bit like the the kind of old citizens of of early kind of post revolutionary America who were really uncomfortable about even non landowners having the vote right there's this kind of this fear this fear of democracy and this fear of opening up the airwaves to to just anybody and what's that, what's that going to do to us um, man I, you're speaking the language of fear and revolution <laughs> i think that means it's time for apocalypse or utopia the way this works uh one is apocalypse uh, the worst number and 10 the best number is utopia what exactly. do you think uh, social media and social and social good right so social media is it leading to social good is it is it leading to kind of um kind of the dissolution of society is it destroying is it destroying our democracy as i think i saw one article say the other day um Hmm. And on a scale of one to ten. Yeah. Simple rubric. Simple rubric with so much complexity in the answer. Um, well, let me. I'm actually going to give. I'm going to give a hugely asterisked seven. All right. And, All right. I'm going to say. I'm going to say social media. I'm going to do a little bit of the Churchillian thing, which I'm going to say that social media is the worst form of media except all the others. And <laughs> um, in, in that, you know, I was reading this, I, I did a quick, I was kind of sprinting through the study that was done about um, does social media create more polarization and political polarization? And one of the, and the, the findings and the findings of the study are based entirely upon my reading of the two paragraph abstract. So there's, there's, there may be a correction to this particular statement, but nonetheless, it supports my point, which is, um, what they found was that that yes, it does to a certain degree increase political polarization, but the studies also found that it actually increases the um, frequency frequency by which um, people of a certain political point of view encounter information from an opposing or an alternate uh, point of view. Which to me counteracts, or at least is a is a little bit of a corrective to this whole idea that it's creating bubbles. Which I, I think it is creating bubbles, and I think that is potentially problematic. But I also think that social media in general, if you compare it toward to the impenetrability of media production, say the 1960s, which is sort of this this golden age of kind of media kind of media purity in many ways, or news purity. It was before the networks started competing with each other for trying to turn their news um, segments into like ratings machines. And at the time it was really 
some news anchor getting on and doing a public service by reading the news out loud. Um, you know, the, the, even figuring out what was going to get covered in the few minutes that were being covered by the news was was difficult, right? I mean, like you couldn't get into that news, and there's so much power in that being covered. And now we have an, a more open forum for ideas. And and yes, it's problematic. Yes, we're going to have to battle over how these algorithms look, how they function, how you know, I think there is going to have to be some level of oversight in social media as it becomes such a dominant form of information exchange. But overall, I just can't help seeing, and I know I sound very, very jargony and um, very bought into the social promise of the internet, but I will say I, I still buy the idea that more, more access to information and to publishing information yourself is going to make the world a better place. I'm going to give it a four. I I don't think that social media is a social good. I, I don't think it's the apocalypse. Uh, <laughs> I think media has long had a relationship to manipulation and dissemination of propaganda and dangerously manipulative content. Uh, I think about something like the Spanish-American War and yellow journalism or Victorian sensationalism or, you know, the legion of examples of governments controlling media apparatuses in ways that are, are deeply troubling uh, in any number of contexts. I think that social media on this grand scale almost necessarily reverts to a kind of vague conservative uh, impulse to things like uh, let's police profanity and nudity, you know, and uh, we don't, don't really know what to do at any level above that. I, I think the the term social good when when yoked onto this kind of massive apparatus is sort of like calling the free market a social good where it's mm -hmm. like mm, I, I can't help but think about like Nietzsche's genealogy of morals and this idea of like what's bad is now good and what's what was good is now bad and that these sort of slippery reference necessarily make the task of determining what is good for two billion people at any given point in history laughably impossible right um and that this means that we we i think thinking in terms of something like regulation about what do we want a population to act like uh do we want populations to be subject to forms of manipulation that they will necessarily interact with in in these platforms because that's that's what stories do that's what people do people influence each other if i if I tell a, a heartfelt story about diversity and I make a white supremacist suddenly, you know, uh, I don't know, not want to commit violence, that seems great to me. But that's still right. manipulation. And um, you'd be taking off a lot of white supremacists. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. I mean, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, there's 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 no when you really get down to the basics of the idea that we're all kind of engaging with each other. It's, there's no disinterested party, um, which is again, which is why I really continue to push for a more positive view on this, which is, you know, the, we're ultimately trying to, the, these systems are being, trying to be managed, and I think in a fairly responsible way. Like from what I've, from what I've seen about how Facebook's trying to manage its algorithm, I feel like they're, they're trying to do the right thing. They have, they have a very, um, 
kind of, a, you know, that enlightenment thinking approach that a lot of tech people have, where it's like, we're just going to write the best algorithm and we're going to come up with the most rational way of doing this and it's all going to be, be great. And then they're sometimes surprised by some unintended consequences. But, you yeah. know, I mean, that's, that's, that's the story of... It's like a two billion person sample size is scary, you know? <laughs> but that's the story of civilization. You know, we've gotten, we keep getting more complex, we keep getting more sophisticated, and and ultimately we haven't we haven't destroyed ourselves yet. No, we're working on it. <laughs> and on that note, thanks for the call, and I'll uh, yeah, we'll we'll talk next time on the stories you tell our robots. All right, talk to you next week. All right, love you. Love you too, man. Bye. Bye.